Okay, welcome once again to a, another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast, and I am your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I am glad to be here for a, another radio show, asking my audio engineer, uh, what's the best way to introduce the show and podcast? Should I say long running? <laughs> long, <laughs> a long running Radio show and podcast. Uh, I already said throttle up. Uh, Throttleupradio.com is the website, correct? <clears throat> and that is uh, one of the websites. Uh, we also have another website called The Sonic Warrior. And the reason for that is because we have a new book that has been uh, recently released. It is called... The Sonic Warrior Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer. And for your video folks, you can see uh, the title of the book right there on the video screen. Uh, do I have the vo the volume is not good? Is the volume? Okay, there there is the there is the video. Uh, uh, there is the picture of the book. Sonic Warrior Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, and it's about my. Um, time as a sonic warrior and as a Top Gun pioneer and a former squadron commander uh, embarked aboard the USS Constellation. Uh, and for you uh, video folks, you can you can actually see a portrait of me off on the uh, let's see the left hand side, lower left hand side of the screen. You can see a portrait of me uh, as the squadron commander aboard the USS Constellation. So, why am I talking about this? That is a good question. I'm talking about it for a number of reasons. Now, I'm going to get into things, and I get into things in this uh, radio show and podcast that uh, what, what you would say is not, is not conventional thinking. It's not even normal thinking. Uh, it's unconventional. It's... Um, norm not normal perhaps even extraordinary but the reason why i am doing this the reason why i talk about it is because i think often we make a fundamental mistake uh at the level of thinking and reasoning i think our thinking and reasoning process by and large, is not entirely error-free, or it is not perfect. It is, um, sometimes it, uh, it malfunctions, okay? <clears throat> we could say that. It's a uh, cognitive malfunction. I think one of the cognitive malfunctions uh, that I see across the board is to just accept the fact that in all walks of life, in all activities, and in all endeavors, uh, our thinking doesn't change. Uh, in all walks of life, in all pursuits, particularly purposeful activities, and those kinds of things that we don't actually bring to the table anything beyond what we normally use uh, or what we normally consider to be uh, the way we think. In fact, a lot of times we don't even give it any consideration whatsoever, and so we just uh, we just go into these um, engagements, we go into these events, we go into these uh, problem-solving initiatives, uh, utilizing the same kinds of thinking that we did when we turned on the television, or when we selected our favorite television show or our favorite podcast or or went down to the grocery store or the local merchants and went about purchasing some kind of thing that we need. All right, so we are using the certain kinds of thinking for those kinds of uh, what I would consider to be casual activities. And we bring the casual activity mindset to uh, to the environment in which critical situations reside. And to me, that is a huge mistake. 
Now, am I criticizing everybody? Well, you can take it the way you want to take it. What I'm going to say is not going to be sugar-coated. It is going to be direct and to the point. Uh, I have been there. I have been in those arenas and in those situations that were uh, so that were way, way outside of the normal human experience. In fact, they were way outside of most humans' experience. Really? Yes. Okay, yeah, really. I was way outside. I was operating at the very, very limit of uh, human performance. <clears throat> what is that? I was operating in an arena that we would consider to be the high end of the human performance spectrum. The very high end. What is that? It is that we are we are traveling at ultra velocities. We are um, we have encountered increased time compression and problem solving to the extent that we actually could solve problems and we could although it wasn't very easy to do, the problem-solving uh, processes and the problem-solving methodologies that we employed were completely different than what normal people use. So, where do we go from here? Well, I guess I should say that, that we have a couple of uh, administrative things that we've got to uh, take care of. We are a radio show on Red State Talk Radio, of course, and we are a podcast. Podcasts can be found anywhere. They're all over the place on all the major podcast platforms that I'm aware of. CastBox is one of them that I use, but, you know, you can use any one that you like. Uh, I like to use the platforms because it remembers where you are. So if you go into the CastBox and pick up the latest uh, Throttle Up uh, podcast, you can play it. Uh, sequentially and you can uh, spend a, f a couple of days on it if uh, you don't have a lot of time and that would be a good way to do it I actually do it myself that's the way I do it <clears throat> um, okay so I'm asking my audio engineer now what are we going to do today we're going to uh, play a uh, audio video clip right a video or audio clip of what what is the uh, oh oh yeah 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 uh, Constantine Kissin is well it is uh, having a discussion with Jordan Peterson right okay and uh, okay and the title of this is that why whining won't fix your problems but we're going to play that now right uh, as we begin this uh, radio show and podcast we're going to play this. It is, uh, how long is it? Eight minutes. It's uh, eight minutes long. Uh, we're going to play this because it, it uh, touches on uh, a very, very important aspect of the human uh, existence on this planet. What is that? <laughs> I'm talking about pretty lofty ideas. Yeah, I am. All right. What is your purpose? Why are we here in those kinds of things, the big questions. Uh, sometimes you hear go off into the desert, particularly in the Bible, you hear go off into the desert and consider the really big questions, all right? So this is a big question. This is for our venture into the desert. Uh, if you want to go to a really great uh, desert environment, then go to a Death Valley National Park, all right? And then just go off into the desert and don't take your cell phone, don't do anything, just you and your water bottle and walking sticks and maybe your partner and go off into the desert and just think. And this is the time to do it. We're actually, actually, you to, uh, actually uh, asking the audience to go ahead and either metaphorically or actually go into the desert and start thinking Okay, just turn off everything, uh, all distractions. Go into the desert and start to think. What do you think about? Think about the big questions, all right? Think about why am I here? 
What is my purpose? What is going on that I should understand from at a deep intellectual level? How can I better describe my uh, mission and purpose on uh, planet Earth? How can I do that? Okay. All right. So we are going to now. Now, as we uh, as we listen to this um, podcast, keep two things in mind. All right. Uh, as Constantine is is going to talk about, he is going to talk about. You can start it now. He's going to talk about uh, uh, building and uh, building something and being creative. Keep that in mind. Okay, here we go. Let's come back to your point about a positive vision for the future and why conservatives uh, will struggle with that. I think one of the reasons is that inevitably young people do need to rebel against something and conservative instinctively want to suppress all rebellion because they want to avoid change. And that's why as someone who's kind of some, I call myself politically non-binary, that's why I'm excited about talking about this political vision uh, and positive, not political, a positive vision of the future because I think that's what's needed and I don't think the anti-woke position, which a lot of us have had to engage in for some time, uh, is going to be the answer because you have to have something that people buy into and it can't be normative in the way that conservatives often want it to be. You must do this. That's not going to work with young people. They don't want that. What they want is something that allows them to channel their rebellion into something heroic and productive, as you said, which is why I think showing young people the way out of wokeness through what I talked about in the speech and what you and I just talked about, which is work hard, build and create. That is going to be the way. And um, I think um, I, you, you probably know my friend, Melissa Chen. Uh, she tweeted something about this years ago that I thought it was so spot on. She said, um, you cannot remake, remain woke if you build anything, whether that's a business, whether that's muscle, whether that's a family. And that's why I challenge these kids at the Oxford Union and, and the audience who were watching, of course, to build and create things. Because the moment you start, you suddenly find out that, hey, just whining about stuff doesn't work. And when you get down to the business of doing things, turns out there's a reason that things are the way they are. There's a reason things don't work quite the way you'd like them to, because reality suddenly comes into conflict with ideology. And so that's why I think it's so important to give kids and young people a path to doing things because it's only when you're doing things that you start to realize the limitations. And, the, the, you know, the, the, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Sowell, and this is one of his things that, uh, that he always says, that there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And you only learn this as a young person by the experience of doing stuff. Because when you're young, you come at the world and you go, well, the world isn't perfect, I must perfect the world. And no one's explained to you, and you probably didn't listen if they tried to explain to you, uh, the, the fact is the world is not perfectible. The world will always be imperfect, and all you can do is tinker at the edges to try and improve it. So one of the things I've noticed on my tour, one of the things that's perplexed me, let's say, is that I wrote these books that are full of rules, and you might think that that would turn people off for the reasons that you just described, young people being turned off by, let's call it conservative moralizing. Mm. And that's a kind of finger shaking. You should. Mm -hmm. And should is if you were doing your duty. It's something like that. Yes. And look, you should do your duty. And, but you can also understand why young people would chafe against that because, well, why should they be certain that doing their duty in that in exactly the same manner that duplicates the past is the best pathway forward, because sometimes it clearly isn't. And there are inadequacies of the past that need to be rectified. So the conservatives stumble in relationship to establishing uh, a bridge to young people by being moralizing. And the more evangelical types of, say, fundamental Christians fall into the same problem. Now, one of the things I've noticed, and this has been very, very cool, and I've really tested this in hundreds of venues, is I usually sometime in one of my lectures, in my lectures, talk about the relationship, the necessity of finding meaning as, a, as the antithesis of suffering, let's say, because the quest for meaning becomes most compelling when you're simultaneously suffering or someone you love is suffering. Uh, that's when the 
That's when the arrow finds its mark, let's say. And I walk people through a thought exercise, I suppose, is, well, what do you have when you're suffering that's going to sustain you? And you might say, well, you have the work that you're still capable of doing and the fruits of your labor that might offer you some security. You have whatever creative enterprises you might be able to engage in that still contain the shadow of meaning, at least. Then you have your intimate relationship and the person who might be caring for you while you're in dreadful condition, and you have your family and your friends. And that's really what you have. And then on the abstract end, you know, maybe you have beauty and truth and justice and, you know, the noble ideals. But then you might ask yourself, well, how do you, how do you have the the armament of work and creative endeavor and friends and family? And the answer to that is that's in precise proportion to the amount of responsibility you've taken for developing those relationships and those abilities. That's right. And so there's a clear pathway between the voluntary adoption of responsibility and the meaning that will sustain you through suffering. And that's a much better enticement to participation for young people than a kind of finger-wagging, top-down morality, which is you must behave this way, mm-hmm. you know, or you're no good. And even though, I, as I said, there's some truth in that, it's not an invitational vision. No. And I, I think that, that there's a way to summarize that very neatly, Jordan, which is what I know would work for me, which is to say, there are things that you want. What are they? And if you want those things, this is what you need to do. You don't have to do it. I'm not saying you must do it. I'm not your dad. But if you want to achieve these outcomes that you care about, then you are going to have to put in the work. And I'm not telling you which outcomes you should pursue necessarily, but the way to get there isn't going to be to glue yourself to a road to stop an ambulance getting to a hospital, which is what these Extinction Rebellion people do here in the UK. And I think that once people, young people are on that path, we don't get to control the art and the culture that they're going to create. That is their path and that is their duty and that is their job to do. Uh, but if if they are doing it from a place of constructive taking on responsibility, as you say, putting in the effort, building and creating things for the future, then I think that is part of the vision for them. Because as you say, I think we live in a society, particularly now, you know, I'm not a religious person, but it's clear to me that uh, with the death of God, you end up in a position where a lot of people lack meaning. And of course, you've got all sorts of other economic disincentives for people to have meaning. It's harder to start a family. Uh, people are deferring it uh, until a later point. I myself, you know, I just turned 40 and we had our first child only a year ago, less than a year ago. So a lot of young people are in that position now. And it's having that experience that changes you. Uh, it makes you more responsible. It forces you to take on responsibility. It also forces you to look at the world in a different way. So uh, that, I think, is part of the vision. Uh, And, uh, you know, talking about family is difficult because, again, you get to the normative position where it's like you must have children, uh, which is not what I'm saying at all. But again, I think if you start from the incentive point of view, my experience of life is that people respond first and foremost to the incentives that are in front of them. And if you want, if you lack meaning, if you don't know what to do with your life, then finding an intimate partner and having a family is going to be a big part of that, in addition to meaningful work, etc. Okay, so uh, the thing that I want to emphasize uh, uh, with respect to this uh, video clip from uh, Constantine and is that Constantine or Constantine? Constantine, right? <clears throat> and uh, Jordan Peterson is uh, build and create. Uh, get out there and build and create. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm going to take that and move forward with it um, to uh, a more action oriented. Uh, perspective or a more action-oriented arena. If we are committed to, if we are going to build and create, then how are we going to do it? Okay, the first order of business here is let's not defeat ourselves before we begin. A lot of people 
uh, will do that. Uh, they will make all kinds of excuses the why they can't. Uh, for example, uh, you know, in my life, uh, why they can't uh, write a book and get it published uh, through a uh, reputable publishing house, uh, why they can't do that. Uh, they've never done it before. Oh, it's too hard, and nobody's going to read my book, and uh, I'll be criticized, and so forth and so on, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the first order of business is that we just have to dispel that notion. We have to stop a dead in its tracks. We have to, in in my book, The Sonic Warrior Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, uh, the motto of a Sonic Warrior, here you can see the book cover again, the motto of the Sonic Warrior is shed doubt and soar. What does that mean? It means just exactly that, right? Exactly that. You shed doubt and soar. All right, everybody has doubts. Everybody, okay. Uh, we just deal with it, okay. Uh, this is not a perfect world. Nothing is guaranteed, and that's okay. All right. Our greatest failure is the failure is not to do it at the beginning. You know, if if you do, if you attempt something, uh, and you put your heart and soul into it, and if it doesn't work, then that's a learning experience. That is not a failure. I don't ever, ever think of it that way, especially for young people. That is not a failure. Uh, you have to press on because it may have been not the right time and place. It may have been all kinds of things. If we are going to address ourselves to that issue, build and create, what is the next order of business? All right. The next order of business is preparation. Okay. Now, you might say, well, no, it's planning. No, it's not. All right. Preparation, then planning, and then execution okay in that order we don't execute before we plan and we don't plan before we prepare okay how were we able to become successful as human beings in the field of aviation. The field of aviation taught us lots of things. First of all, it was a completely unique, brand new human endeavor. Right? Humans have never, except for balloons, but humans had never been able to get up into the air and stay there for periods of time and travel long distances and then land in foreign destinations and uh, turn around and come back again. Humans have never been able to do that. Uh, humans have been able to uh, ply the oceans, and humans have been able to uh, cross uh, uh, large continents on the ground, but not very fast and not very effective and efficient. But uh, once humans were able to build air machines and travel through the air, through the atmosphere, detached from the ground, then all kinds of things happened, right? And then human progress took off exponentially. Okay. I call it the, uh, the importance of and the role of velocity uh, in the course of human events and in the course of a modern industrial society that can engage itself in all kinds of things, including commerce uh, at uh, in foreign soils and at long distances and across the globe, worldwide commerce. Okay. Aviation has been able to do that. Aviation has been able to give us all kinds of wonderful things. Also has been able to provide us with a significant amount of protection, 
our Iron Dome, if you want to think about it metaphorically, the Iron Dome metaphorically that exists uh, across the United States of America is in fact alive and well. It is there. What is it? Our, it is, uh, it is the, the airborne protection Okay, we dominate the airborne battle space over all continents. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Okay, uh, it, that's true. That's been true since World War II, by the way. <clears throat> we have been able to, we achieved domination uh, during World War II in the uh, European theater, primarily because of the P-51 Mustang and the um, uh, the B-29 bomber, and we achieved it uh, once again in the Pacific uh, through the course of uh, naval aviation, and we achieved uh, domination of the airborne battle space uh, globally, and uh, that domination has never uh, been... Um, successfully challenged and it has never gone away we have dominated the airborne battle space across the globe uh, completely how were we able to do all these things so i might say also before i get into the solution is is that we have been able to conduct international commerce and travel uh, for example i was involved in the first commercial flight operation between San Francisco and Hong Kong nonstop. Okay, yes, I was I was involved in that. All right, that's 14 and a half hours nonstop. And we did that on a regular basis and that opened up all kinds of economic opportunities not only for the United States but at that time for Hong Kong which was a British uh protectorate. It was um uh, part of the British Empire and uh, uh, enormous benefits for those people as well as many people in the United States. It was mutually beneficial across the board. Okay, so we have, uh, we have military and commercial aviation. How were we able to do such a thing? Okay, there's lots of things that we can talk about. There's lots of things with respect to technology, of course, played a part. But the human side of the equation played a much bigger and more important part. Uh, what was it? It was the uh, the mental capabilities and the cognitive di uh, capabilities and disciplines that uh, that came out of that initiative and came out of that industry proving once again the power and the ultimate importance of preparation, planning, and execution. Okay, in that order. What is often missing is preparation. How do you prepare Okay, in combat, how do you prepare for battle? Not the actual uh, <clears throat> uh, battle plan for a particular uh, battle that is planning, that's battle planning, but pre preparation, how do you prepare for battle? Well, you have to be physically fit, for example, and you have to be mentally fit. It's physical and mental fitness. Okay, so preparation. If we are going to perform um, how should I put it this this way? And I you know, I've I've talked about this before. If we want to optimize performance, when we are engaged in a high-stakes operation, how do we do it? Basically, how do we do it? Okay, it was, is it just business as normal? Is that how it's done? No. Okay, 
uh, it's pretty obvious when you think about it for half a microsecond, you can see that, well, no, the seals don't do it that way. They're always preparing themselves. Uh, for the air combat arena, uh, pilots are always preparing themselves and then practicing even before they go into an actual battle plan and execution of a particular battle. There's always the preparation phase. Okay, we have to prepare ourselves physically and mentally. Uh, we have to be prepared for uh for in in my world when i was a naval aviator and navy fighter pilot flying off aircraft carriers we had to be prepared for uh, uh parachuting into the ocean okay not the land but the ocean we had to be prepared to do that and so there was a lot of preparation for us to be able to do that uh and then we get into the planning. Planning is so critical in the field of aviation. We spend hours planning our mission. When you go off and, uh, for example, if you're the captain of, a, of an international airliner and you're flying oceanic flights halfway around the world nonstop, uh, you spend a lot of time planning that mission. It's not just kick the tires and light the fire and go off into the wild blue yonder. Uh, there's a lot of thinking, and there's a lot of calculation, and there's a lot of um, alternative uh, operations that could be evoked uh, if things don't go smoothly, there's all kinds of things uh, that go into the planning stage. All right, so preparation and planning. So if you are going to build and create, are you prepared to do it? That's my first question for anybody, particularly the young people out there. You know, are you prepared to build and create whatever you want to do, whatever you are uh, talented at, or another way of saying that, whatever you are designed to do. Okay, we are all not the same. We are different, but are all differences are good. Differences are good because we all come together. We have different talents, but together we can do quite extraordinary things. Okay, what are, <coughs> what are we designed to do and with respect to building and creating and can we can we make sure that we are properly prepared to do such a thing okay so preparation so spend some time and I do this a lot spend some quality time on the preparation phase once we decide that we are in fact going to build and create okay then let's start with preparing ourselves to build and create. All right, let me give you an example. All right, so <clears throat> let's say that you uh, want to become an author. Okay, you have now reached a point in your life, and I would suggest that often authors ought to be probably. Uh, they have a, uh, a great deal of practical experience and uh, and then they can write about it you know in a meaningful way uh, and, and I'm not taking a, a, a bit away from uh, the young authors because I have read some stuff from some of the young author community and it's been really quite extraordinary uh, they tend to get involved in science fiction and fantasy and do a wonderful, wonderful job of it. Um, I, I get involved in, uh, in more of the practical aspects of being a human and living. Uh, and it, I draw a lot from my uh, personal experience. All right, so preparation. As I was uh, 
in the process of uh, publishing my latest book, The Sonic Warrior, I was invited to participate in a, um, a book expo. Now, what is a book expo? Well, a book expo is often put on by a group of publishing houses, and they invite in uh, authors, and they invite in uh, bookstore owners, and they uh, uh, create an environment in which uh, the bookstore owners can talk to the authors who then can talk to the publishers and uh, and the circle continues, all right? So everybody is talking to one another, and that's pretty much what a book expo is. So I went to a, uh, recently, I went to a book expo, uh, and it was uh, being held in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, now, Lexington is a really fascinating city. They have created uh, a major event center there. Uh, Lexington is uh, a middle-sized city. It's not big. It's not small. It's about middle size. Uh, but a lot of forward thinking went into uh, this, um, how can I say it, this uh uh, event center okay so they have uh they have built a, a fairly this is fairly new so they have a, a built an event center and, and they invite in these events one of them was the uh, three or four day book expo that i participated in and i went to this book expo why as part of the preparation stage okay now i have already you know, I've got a book in publish in in publication, but I'm I was preparing myself for the next stage, which is uh, interfacing with the book selling world, uh, the um, the the retailers, uh, the bookstores, and stuff like that. Okay, I was preparing myself. I didn't have a plan yet, but I had to prepare myself, and I did, and. I, the way I did that is I, um, I started to talk to the bookstore owners and asked them about um, their bookstore and uh, the kinds of things they do. Why are they in, in the book business? Uh, it doesn't didn't seem to me like it was a viable uh, business model because of the big retailers, uh, but I was wrong, okay? The bookstore owners were not downtrodden at all, were kind of upbeat. They saw that they had, while they had perhaps a niche market, uh, they they were happy that it was growing, and in some cases it was thriving. And so they were they were happy, and I, and I noticed that that, that in my ability to understand the marketplace, preparing myself to go into the marketplace with that knowledge that I acquired from the book expo was invaluable. Okay, so we don't just dive right in. We prepare ourselves if you are preparing yourself to uh, what, whatever industry that you want to get into, uh, it could be anything. Prepare yourselves. Are you preparing yourselves properly? Okay. Aviation was very, very emphatic about preparing oneself as well as preparing your uh, your. A thinking and reasoning process so that it could perform and it could perform in an optimum way okay now here's the thing that I want to uh, finish the uh, radio show and podcast on this point okay 
if you are going to think like a fighter pilot, and that's the, the, the title of this series of shows and podcasts, then you need to understand, and I need to understand as well, how does one optimize performance when performing a high-stakes operation? How does one do that? Okay, we're looking at this issue of optimizing performance. Now, we can turn those words around. They mean the same thing. We can look at this issue with respect to performance optimization. Uh, both, Both terms mean exactly the same thing. We just rephrased it slightly differently. Do I optimize performance or can I optimize performance when I am performing a high-stakes operation like uh, military or commercial aviation? Can I do that by just utilizing the same kind of thinking and reasoning or the same kind of cognitive processing that I use when performing casual activities? And the answer is, no, you can't. Now, why is it that this is not common knowledge? I actually don't know that. I don't know why this is not common knowledge. I don't know why uh, why the research community is not stressing this point. Uh, There's a lot of stuff out there about human performance and uh, human-based decision-making and what have you, but nothing that I can see uh, addresses itself to, okay, if you are, in fact, uh, involved in high-stakes operations, some kind of a dangerous and meaningful activity, that must be accomplished well or there will be dire consequences, then you need to adopt this kind of a thinking process. Okay, I don't see that out there, but I'm saying that you have to do that. Now, there is one uh, critically important book and study or a series of studies that was done by the Max Planck Institute. And the name of the book is The Logic of Failure, and the author is Dietrich Dorner. Okay, I've mentioned this many, many times on this show. If you want to read anything worthwhile, then read, get and read the book. Okay, if, and then get the book that is called uh, The Checklist Manifesto by Dr. Gawande. And if you have both of those books, then you are better prepared to greet the morning or to seize the day. Right? That's an old Roman uh, aphorism. Is that a correct word? Uh, Roman saying. Uh, seize the day. If you want to seize the day, have those two books uh, pretty much uh, memorized. Okay? And then you can take my book uh, as the trio of this. I'm showing this again on the video. Uh, Critical Thinking Essentials. It's a quick reference handbook. That's that's the, the title of it. Uh, you can get it anywhere, Critical Thinking Essentials. So that's a thrill. All right, so what does that do? That prepares you. Prepares you to seize the day and to build and create. Whatever you decide to build and create, you have to be prepared to do it. You just don't go off half-cocked, okay? You don't go off there willy-nilly, right? You have to be prepared to do it. You have to prepare yourself. And the pre- preparation should be uh, should be considered to be enjoyable. This is going to be fun. I'm going to um, prepare my mind and body, and it's going to be fun. This is going to be a very interesting journey. 
uh, prepare your mind as well, as well as your body. You can read the book, The Morning Mind. I've mentioned this a gazillion times on this show as well by my good friend, uh, Dr. Carter. Uh, you can read that book as well. Okay. Prepare yourself. Preparation is, cr- is critical. Now, I'm going to show this on the screen. If you are going to, if you are actually preparing to engage in a high-stakes operation, okay, you have to be aware of something very, very critical. You may encounter and uh, what we call an event or a better term is you may encounter an event set and that's your decision point once you recognize that a non-trivial occurrence has a, has occurred okay it, it is called an event and once the event is recognized then you have to make the the uh, the mission critical decision of whether you are going to continue with this operation or reconsidering that continuation or not. If you uh, if you uh, inv- encounter an event that's very um, um, serious and impactful in a negative way, then you need to reconsider and either modify or abandon the previously planned operation. That is the heart and soul of the aviation's aviation's inspired cognitive model. Okay? Uh, The the operational decision model that we employ as professional aviators is that, okay? Now, it also goes by a number of other terms, as you would expect. It goes by the term uh, uh, operational risk management. It also goes by the term operational decision-making. It means the same thing, okay? That's the heart and soul. That's what makes aviation successful. If we did not have that that cognitive model, that operational uh, model for our mind space, if we didn't have that, we could not have achieved what we were able to achieve in the field of military and commercial aviation. Okay. Is that a stretch? No. I'm, I'm telling it exactly now. It is not hard once you get there. It's not hard. It is often overlooked. Uh, most non-aviation activities do not employ that decision model. Why is that? I, I don't actually know. Okay. I don't know why they don't, uh, but they should. If we can employ that operational decision model, that becomes the bedrock or the heart of our planning process. Okay, remember, preparation, planning, execution. All right. So we prepared ourselves. We got our we got our brains f- uh, uh, fixated on the right things, not the wrong things. We prepared ourselves. All right. We are planning the way we go about and plan. We employ these uh, contingency operations as part of our big picture plan. All right. What is the contingency? The contingency is that. By the way, if we cannot meet these particular performance parameters, we have got to uh, execute our alternative plan. In aviation, we call it going to our alternate. 
We have a destination in mind, of course. In almost all cases, we also have an alternate in mind. Okay? Why this has remained exclusively in the domain of aviation, I, I cannot tell you. I, it boggles my mind. Why do we not have this as part of our business model in all commercial enterprises in this country and even in this world? Why does it just rely, uh, reside in the field of aviation? Uh, just boggles my mind. I don't know. But we have a plan. Okay, it's a very well-designed plan. Okay, it has these the broad decision structure embedded within the plan. We either continue or we reconsider, which includes modify or abandon. So continue, modify, or abandon our operation. That's the planning, all right? Next show, we'll talk a little bit more about the execution phase. How do we actually go about executing this uh, plan of ours uh, such that it will allow us to build and create something that is meaningful, something that is useful, to us and others if we are going to be builders and creators and that is the hallmark of what it means to be an American Americans build and Americans create let's not forget that okay we are in danger of forgetting that and let's not ever forget that Americans are builders and creators we also tame the frontier we have tamed the frontier, and we have done incredible things. You can read the book. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you about another book next week. All right, another radio show. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week.